Thank you, preacher. Hello. Hello there. Testing. One, two. It was a great fight, Mom, but I lost. I am so glad when the preacher hands me the mic ahead of time, or in this case, the PA lady, at the time I got these preachers coming up to me, you know, getting it right in my face, clipping it under my chin. I don't know about you, but I never want a man that close to me talking about turning me on. Somebody say amen right there. All right. Good to see everybody again. I love coming here. I mention that probably every time I'm here, and I always appreciate the privilege. I'm not used to return invitations, you know, so I'm shocked to be here more than once. But I, I always mention I love uh, being up here. Well, I mean, uh, if I stutter, that's my Biden impersonation. I don't want to forget to tell you that. But, uh, preacher, what time does the Sunday school end? 10.20. Okay, good. Um, I, I'm in my element when I get, you know, in this part of the world. And the closer I get to New Manhattan, the more comfortable I feel. But this is not bad. You know, this is good. I mean, I live in Tennessee now. There's more Baptists in Tennessee than people. And down there, it's bless your heart country, you know. And I try to blend, but it's not been working yet. <laughs> I've been working on it for a while. But uh, I remember these preachers up here t would tell me uh, when they're trying to get a pastor to come up to this part of the world when they need a, you know, when the pulpit's vacant, they say the two biggest problems they had were Cuomo and the snow. And uh, I guess the governor you got now to make Cuomo look like Trump. Say amen right there. Um, I like, it's, it's um, Father's Day, a wonderful time of the year. Somebody said the loneliest day in the life of a man is the day you walk away from your father's grave. A lot of truth in that. Scripture says, David said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. We all, we all like somebody above us for security, and when the old man passes on, you're it. And you got to be the security for everyone else now. So it's a lonely day, isn't it? And uh, I have great memories of my father. And um, matter of fact, I have um, two pictures of my father uh, in my new book. And of course, when I was here, most of you got the new book. Uh, I'm, I'm still working my mother through college, and we offset the tuition payments with the book money. Amen. You say, well, you've been doing that since 1993. Yeah, I didn't say she wasn't a slow learner. Give me a break here. But uh, anyway, I hope you have the new book uh, because it'll, exp it'll explain everything that's going on. I mean, it just will. That's my one strength. I can uh, find things uh, that will help you to perceive the day you're in. This is called Understanding the Times and uh, Volume 3, Perilous Times. Deep truths for shallow waters. You know, some of these preachers, pastors, are so lazy. You know, they're the worst book people. Spurgeon told the preachers, uh, if any man refuses to use the brains of other men, he proves he has no brains of his own. I mean, uh, you know, so they, 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 they're very, but, um, but I've, I've, got, I've got stuff in here. Uh, Spurgeon said, visit many books, but live in the Bible. And so if you want to know what's going on, uh, currently, this is a book that handles all that information. But anyway, I've got two pictures. I just dawned on me sitting there. I made a note to myself. I've got two pictures of my father in this book, strangely enough. Uh, everybody's interested in the Ukraine war and with Russia. And here's a picture of my Ukrainian-born grandmother. She's German, Mary Kroll, K-H-R-O-L, I think. A lot of Germans in the Ukraine. But uh, that's a picture of my father when he's about six, seven years old, standing next to his uh, 
mother, and she spent the greater part of her adult life in Binghamton, New York. I probably told that to you when I came here the first time because, you know, I, I feel close to you folks already now. Anyway, uh, she, had, she could speak eight languages, and she was an interpreter in the courthouse in Wilmington, Delaware, but she lost her mind and, and uh, spent all those years in the insane ward, insane asylum there, and being, never met her one day in my life. And as my Irish grandfather, probably half drove her crazy. He was an alcoholic. Hey, my mother's parents were both from Finland, both alcoholics. I met them one day. They, got lost, they visited us in Manhattan and got lost on the Staten Island Ferry. We crossed back and forth a hundred times trying to find these Finnish people. I mean, precious memories. You grew up in a nice Christian home. And, uh, but I, I remembered I had two pictures of my father. And the other one's in the back, you know, in the about the author section. You always have to give a little information about yourself and then a picture if possible. So the Lord impressed me to throw this in for a joke. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this. Oh, I, was th- I, I, knew I, I knew I started down a path and I couldn't remember it. The preacher's being uh, deadbeats when it comes to reading. The average preacher, Brother Legault, he'll tell me, uh, you know, I'm halfway through your book, preacher. That means they've looked at 40 of the 80 photographs. <laughs> Here's the last picture in the book, though. It's at the back about the author section. And it's a picture of my mafia dad here. Well, he was a bag man, bookie, the loan shark for the Gambino people. I remember he gave uh, my mother, my stepmother, a, a recipe for spaghetti meatballs one time. You know, handwritten recipe in pencil, signed Carlo Gambino. And here he is with a suit and tie on, Brother Legault, in the summertime in Central Park. You know, he's pitching a baseball to my sister. You know, she's about five years old in a picture, swinging a bat, and I'm catching. So all you got is my head. That's better than nothing, amen. But the, the caption on the picture says New York Times. So, uh, you know, the funny thing is you always put some credentials on a book, you know. My, this stuff, my, some of my books have been plugged in USA Today in different places. You try to build up the best resume you could. You know, preacher, I could say Dr. Grady was quoted in the New York Times because I was. But if they ever found out what I was quoted as saying, they'd run me out of town on a rail, right? So here's the picture. And what they're doing is the New York Mets, I may have shared this when I was here last time. The New York Mets shared, had just finished their first season and they stunk, you know. And uh, I hope you tell your wife I'm going to miss her cooking. That's what I told him in the hallway today. I got to switch you to for him. And uh, I'd rather have you cook me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich than him cook me a Delmonico. Unless I, 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 I've never, you've never, that's my Biden impersonation if I start stuttering. You know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, David wouldn't take the armor because it wasn't proven. Maybe you're, you're okay, but I know she's good cook. So the reporters, or the New York Mets, had just finished their first season, and they stunk out the high heavens, right? You remember the, how bad the Mets were? That's why they were the Miracle Mets in 69 when they won the World Series. Remember Choo Choo Coleman couldn't catch a pop-up in the infield? It was a disaster. So a New York Mets roving reporter going through Central Park interviewing disgruntled Mets fans. They made the mistake to stop and talk to us. Amen right there. John Grady from the pitcher's mound, quote, they are improving, you know, trying to be positive. Son Billy crouched behind the plate, quote, they are lousy. I was nine years old when I said that. In the New York Times. <laughs> oh, help me, Jesus. Uh, you know, when I was born, turn, turn in your Bibles to somewhere, turn to Acts chapter 4. 
when I was, when I, the, the day I was born, Harry Truman was having Thanksgiving dinner in the White House. My father griped because he said I messed up his Thanksgiving dinner at home. He had to run my mother to Lenox Hill Hospital. Some of you are familiar with that hospital. That was ground zero with Mount Sinai Hospital during the uh, COVID epidemic there in 2020 in Manhattan, if you remember. So I was born there on November the 27th, 1952. Make a note of that, especially the church secretary. But uh, anyway, uh, my father griped because I wrecked his Thanksgiving dinner, he said. What a hypocrite. Nothing personal, Dad. But, you know, here's the deal. You know, Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, I I just happened to be born on his birthday. He's born on November 27th. And when he was born in 1919, it fell on Thanksgiving. We had a four-way quinky-dinky, like my wife would say. And then, and then, and then the added part of the story is, my mother was married to another man first, and then he was a whack job chasing her through the streets with a pistol one day. <coughs> they got divorced, and, he, and uh, but they had they had a son who's my half brother, Gregory. I talk about him once in a while. Again, when I come in New York, I've completely different you know routine than any normal place. <laughs> but my you know, but he went to Sing Sing prison for three years up in New York for shooting the man on the front steps of a police station, chasing him into the police station with a loaded gun in his hand. You know, in Brooklyn, guy was messing around with my sister-in-law with his wife. But um, uh, you can't make that stuff up. But, uh, he, but, then, but then after my mother got divorced and she married my father, they, they couldn't have any children for some reason. And... Uh, and so after years of trying to have a child, my mother would later tell me the story that the, her doctor told her that somehow her womb turned supernaturally or miraculously. You know, the way some secular doctor put it, I don't understand any of what it involved, but all of a sudden she was able to conceive. And I popped out on Thanksgiving morning. Don't you think I'm grateful for Thanksgiving every year? Praise God. Loved you. Had a turkey sub yesterday. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, can you imagine my dad griping that I came in and I wrecked his Thanksgiving dinner? I'm born on his birthday. Couldn't have any kids. He's 33 years old when I was born. I have many pleasant memories of my father. I remember one time he almost started World War III, literally. Isn't that funny to make a statement like that that you could almost back up? Huh? I'm going to back it up. Remember Khrushchev taking his shoe off his foot and banging the podium in the UN? We'll bury you. Remember that? He went to uh, a reception from the king of France, from the king of um, from the president of France, held for him that evening at 740 Park Avenue. Go Google that. There's a book called 740 Park Avenue on Amazon, the wealthiest apartment building in New York City. John D. Rockefeller used to have two whole floors to himself and a private elevator. Chrysler family, Foy family lived there, and Rogers and Hammerstein, and all these big wheels, right? Well, my dad was a doorman. You know, remember New Yorker magazine? Then they had New York magazine came after that. Second edition of New York magazine had a picture of my father with his white gloves on standing in front of the door of that Park Avenue play address. Um, and uh, so Khrushchev came there for, his, for a, a reception, Again, by the president of France upstairs. 
And when he pulled up in the limousine, my dad opened the door and walked him into the building to the elevator. There were 100 New York City policemen lined up against the wall there, 50 and 50, you know, for security. And uh, he took him in, tag-teamed them off to the um, elevator operator. Of course, Khrushchev's entourage followed in with him. So I asked my dad, being a history buff, you know, I said, what was Khrushchev like? And again, you have to appreciate city people. You know, most of you know what they're like. My dad said, he's a nut job, bald-headed nut job. That's all he could say. <laughs> Remember, he got a Christmas card from Bobby Kennedy one year. You know, Christmas is the money time. So everybody gives you the Christmas cards. And he said, Billy, I opened it up and there was nothing in there. No cash. All there was was a stupid picture of his family. So what do I care about his family? I threw it in the trash. He was looking for green stuff. So uh, he said he's a nut job. But uh, he said, what about World War III? Well, he continued the story that uh, when he got back down, after dropping him off at the elevator operator, came back outside, and there's Khrushchev's limousine still sitting at the curb with two or three, four other limousines coming in, like airplanes waiting to land, you know, dropping their people right off at the door. You know, he said Eleanor Roosevelt was two limousines behind, for instance, you know. So <laughs> the guy's sitting there doing paperwork, you know, on the steering wheel, the chauffeur. So my dad said he walked up and banged on the glass, and the guy looked at him and said, hey, Ivan, get this piece of junk out of here. There's other people waiting to come in. <laughs> and then he said, my, he said the, the chauffeur pulled some kind of a pistol out of his satchel pointed it right at my dad's face. <laughs> so my dad stepped back, you know, and all these cops are there. He says, hey, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> Do something. And he said, they said, Johnny, diplomatic immunity. Don't start World War III. Back up. <laughs> so my dad, he was, he was wild, man. I remember I came back from a, uh, from a, from a boy. We used to come up, up to New York State from the Boy Scouts in Manhattan. Ten Mile River, Alpine. I still remember some of these memories, you know, as a little kid. I came back from one of those weekend camping trips one time, and my dad was, uh, was sitting on a bar stool. I grew up in three Irish bars, Ned's, Shamrock's, and the Three Swans. And this was Ned's uh, bar on 70, uh, 86th Street, 87th Street, 1st Avenue, Sunday afternoon. Most of you folks know this. And uh, people in Tennessee have never even met an Italian before. And uh, I, I came in, it was only about five, six people in the whole bar, about two o'clock in the afternoon. Put my Boy Scout pack, you know, down by the doorway, came in and sat down on a bar stool. And next thing you know, a, a whiskey glass comes flying over, my, over, over top of the bar and smashed into the wall real close to where I was sitting. Some drunk over at the other end threw this whiskey glass at me. Man, my dad jumped off that bar stool and flew over there 100 miles an hour, and two or three guys that were in the place grabbed him, tackled him, hold him. And I still remember the bartender getting in that drunk's face and pointing at me, saying, don't you know who that is? That's John Grady's son. I'm like, are you nuts? That guy ran out the back door through the kitchen. But uh, so what happened with your dad and uh, Khrushchev's chauffeur? I said, what'd you do, Dad? He said, well, I just cussed him out in English, and he cussed me out in Russian, you know, and then about two seconds later, he drove away. It's like that closing scene with Patton, you know, with George C. Scott. I'll toast the guy, that blankety blank. <laughs> Say, what does this got to do with the price of eggs? Look, you, 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 you folks, how could, I, how could I shock anybody in New York? I, could, I shock people in Kentucky and Georgia. All right, you got your Bibles open, Acts. What's that got to do with the price of eggs? 
What it's got to do with is my dad, I, he was the first person that I ever witnessed to after I got saved. And boy, did I blow that preacher. I got saved on a morning service in Clarence Larkin's home church in Philadelphia, Marcus Hook Baptist Church. I drove straight to my dad's house to witness to him. Just got back from my honeymoon and a Catholic priest married us, Polak priest, Father Shellick. Started a conga line at our, at our honeymoon reception, you know, playing when the saints go marching in with his accordion. I'm hanging on to his hips. My best man's hanging on to my hips. And 20 Catholic relatives were all going over the Hub Cocktail Lounge in Dover, Delaware. My wife's Southern Baptist family saying. <laughs> and, uh, and then I went, went to Hawaii. And on the way back from, uh, I, I got back from Hawaii on a Saturday. And, then, and uh, Saturday afternoon, the next morning, I went to the church. Second time I'd visited and I got saved. As soon as I got saved, I said, man alive, my mother's dead. I can't do anything about her now. I sprinkled her as a Roman Catholic. She's a Lutheran. I sprinkled her, uh, committed, committed suicide. I poured water on her. I share some of this in churches I feel more comfortable in. So I probably shared this last time. But anyway, you know, I tried to get her into heaven. That's the Catholic way to do it. She was a non-Catholic. Couldn't get a priest there in time. And so all of a sudden, man, 30 seconds after getting saved, I wondered, where did she go? But I said, my dad, he's still alive. And I made a beeline straight from that church parking lot right to my dad's house. He hadn't seen me since we, I left the wedding reception a week earlier. And I walked in and I said, hey, I mean, you know, we're all stupid sometimes. You ever notice that? I walked in there and I said, dad, guess what? Hey, Billy, how you doing? I said, guess what? I just changed religions. That's an exact quote. That's not even a paraphrase. You know what the Greek word for that is? Look, duh. Man, I'm telling you, we got into a battle royale. I mean, four-letter word ministry. It was wild. Within five minutes, he had his finger in my Southern Baptist wife's face. You stole my billy. That's another exact quote. And she had nothing to do with me getting saved. She used to try to get me to go to church with her. I used to say, I ain't no Bible-toting, tea-drinking, gravy-sopping Baptist. I heard that from some black comedian named Dolomite. One night, I don't know if I was drunk or if I was live or on a tape. I used to tell my wife that. By the way, don't ever tell God what you're not going to do. I love biscuits and gravy and sweet tea. And I carry that Bible about everywhere I go. Don't tell God what you're not going to do. Amen. And, uh, you know, I couldn't get him saved. But, you know, uh, and, and the weirdest thing is, it, it, well, I don't know, I, but uh, about 20 years later, a friend of mine led him to the Lord, a preacher, and I, I got to baptize him at Jack Howe's church service, evening service, in front of 7,000 people. Now, how do you like that? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. I sprinkled my mother, my, I sprinkled my Lutheran mother, a Roman Catholic, and immersed my Roman Catholic father into a Baptist position. How are you going to make up something like that? But what's that got to do with the price of eggs? Well, the Sunday school lesson I'm trying to work into now, which is going to be the precursor to the morning service, like a part one and a part two, has everything to do with how I got my dad saved. Any of you have an unsaved loved one? Raise your hand. You're sure a burden about them, aren't you? You don't want to give up. George Mueller prayed for his best friend for 53 years and then kicked the bucket when he still wasn't saved. And then he got saved after he died. But there are biblical means to get people saved. They're different principles, right? 
I want to show you one of the greatest ones you can come up with because it might help you. Look at Acts chapter 4. This is Father's Day, right? Uh, Acts chapter 4, the apostles had been beaten and, and then they were threatened. And after they were released, they have a little prayer meeting, right? Look at verse number 23 of Acts 4. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, and now they go on with a prayer there, see? Now watch. I want to show you how their prayer ended. Jack Hiles was a very practical pastor. He didn't, I taught for him for 10 years. <clears throat> he didn't know the difference between right division and a right hook. But he was very practical and a good pastor, loved his people, taught us a lot of helpful things. He used to try to get us to be soul winners though, right? And uh, he, he had these little stickers made up that said, pray for power. Holy Spirit power. You know, put it on your refrigerator. Uh, stick it on your uh, dashboard of your car. I still remember these things. and Put it in your Bible. Pray for power. Holy Spirit power, right? Power of Pentecost. John Rice book, right? Well, I, I thought that was okay. and there's, there's no doubt something to that. But one day I was reading in my Bible and the Lord kind of showed me something else. Brother Legault, this, when I got into the mobile home, up the single white up here, almost flipped out. Came into the kitchen, saw that little wooden table there, and remembered sitting at that chair two years ago, doing my devotions while I was preaching here, reading Acts 16. I just read about Lydia there. Holy Spirit spoke to me right in that chair. He said, son, what do you think the name Lydia means? I don't know. He said, well, go look it up, you lazy, stinking bum. He talks to me like that. And I looked it up, and what do you know? It means beautiful. Just like the name Japheth means beautiful. <clears throat> How beautiful are the feet of them. Preach the gospel. And I put in my new book, that's J. Peth's legacy. You want to know about white supremacy and white privilege? That's so the, so the J. Pethites, the, the Europeans and the Americans can get the gospel around the whole world exactly like we've been doing it. Somebody say amen right there. Don't let all that political correctness mess your brain up. And that's why J. Peth means beautiful. That's why the first miracle in the church age was at the beautiful gate. Well, the crippled guy got his feet back. Isn't that beautiful? And that's why Japheth is called Japheth the Elder. He's the big brother. What's a big brother supposed to do? Boy, my brother Gregory, the guy that shot that guy in the police station, nobody messed with me, man, when I was a little kid in Yorkville, 86th Street. When he was around, nobody messed with me. That's what a big brother's supposed to do, look after the little guys. And that's what Japheth's supposed to do. You remember crazy Billy, Bill Eubanks, most of you remember him. And I got a picture, I got pictures of him in the new book uh, over in Africa, getting the gospel out to all these little Hamite children when he's 80 stinking years old. There he is, passing out tracts. What's a, he, he, uh, when he turned 80, his 80th birthday is when he entered the hospital, died five days later of COVID, trying to get the gospel out. That's what we're supposed to do. That's why we're the older brother. And if you don't think the devil hates that reality, go look at an ESV or an NIV and see if they don't change Japheth being the elder brother to Shem. I went back and got a 1388 Wycliffe Bible translation and they've got Japheth the elder brother then too. That wasn't something King James did. But I got all that sitting in that trailer. I mean, I got the connection that Lydia, she's the first European saved. And she's a businesswoman, and her name Lydia means beautiful. What's the odds on paper? And then the gospel finally gets over to America. And so you got a hymn book over there, and you got a song in there, America the Beautiful. 
But, uh, but long story short, Jack Howes always said, pray for power, pray for power. That's okay, but that's not what the early apostles prayed for. They probably did, but look at what the Holy Spirit points out here. Verse number 29, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto, all, unto thy servants that with all power they may speak the word. Is that what it says? No. What did they ask God for? They asked them for boldness. Anybody home? By stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Say, preacher, what's that got to do with the price of eggs? Listen, man, are, do, you have, do you have any kind of boldness with men, with people? I went down to the, get an egg sandwich this morning, two, two miles down out of the left, you know, the little gas station down there. And uh, the cashier gave me a couple of free tomatoes, praise God. Slices of tomato, didn't charge me for tomatoes. Refrigerator's packed out, but I'm too stinking lazy to cook. Say amen right there. And, uh, and some guy comes walking in with a bunch of beer in his arms, and the cashier says, we can't sell beer or liquor in general, I guess, till 11 o'clock, or I don't know what your laws are around here. And, oh, man, that's too bad. And you guys all depressed. So, so I, gave the, I gave the cashier a chick track, I gave the, the guy with the beer, hey, God bless. He said, you know, five cans of things of beer in his arms. Gave another one to some other guy walking in from another planet. I said, hey, this is for you too. Happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you. Hey, you know, the average Christian can't do that. I was over in Germany preaching with Brother Weimer. You know, we went into uh, Leipzig preaching on the streets. And I couldn't, and, and somebody videoed uh, uh, some of my preaching there, and, and you can see all these women walking by flipping me off with satanic symbols and, while I'm preaching. And, and uh, I couldn't get anybody to take any tracks when Brother Weimer was preaching, you know. In Europe, they're a disaster. So I, I just got mad, Brother Caleb. Now, don't get mad at me. Don't judge me. I'm a little, you know, I still have voices in my head. I don't know what, what I'm doing at the time. But I just got mad that they wouldn't take tracks. So what did you do? Don't get mad. I'm just, I wouldn't tell this to everybody. I just started saying, free Michael Jackson tickets. Michael Jackson, they took 100% of what I was handed. The guy's been dead for five stinking years. Praise God. I walked into a stinking store there in uh, Prague, Czech Republic. You know, the atheist capital of Europe is Prague, Czech Republic. Some guy's sitting there puffing on a pipe, you know. Looked like he belonged in Switzerland somewhere, you know. And... Uh, I said, hey, how are you doing? And I tried to give him one. He said, oh, Czech Republic, atheist capital of your world. Don't you know that? I said, okay, don't ever want to take it. You know, he wouldn't take it. I went inside the store, and you know the Lord's got a sense of humor. And out of nowhere, the Lord put on my heart something crazy I'd seen on my phone that day. And I found it. I came back out and said, hey, good talking to you. By the way, before I leave, I thought you'd like to see something funny the Lord showed me in the store. You know, God, it doesn't exist and showed me, you know. And I stuck it right in his face where he couldn't, you know, move. His little cartoon, it said, everybody's an atheist. 
until they plug up their neighbor's toilet. <laughs> I said, ain't that funny? <laughs> so how, how, how can you do that? And I'm not, you know, North Carolina, they say, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm going to do that to be ugly, but the Holy Spirit impressed me to do that. Yes, yeah, sir. Where do you see at the great white throne judgment? You're going to see worse stuff than that. But the long story short is, you can't do stuff like that unless you have some boldness in your life. There's a lot of people that are crazier than that that are not bold, they're just retarded, nuts. But uh, the righteous are as bold as a lion. You ever read that verse? Last night I was preaching uh, uh, the sermon that I'm going to preach in the morning service today. I was preaching it up at uh, Pete Condano's church in Little Valley, New York. And there was a, there was a young girl walked up. I used her as a skit in the middle of my sermon, her and another teenage girls. And anyway, later on, that, uh, then the next morning, she came by my book table with her mother, and they bought a couple of books. And she said, Brother Grady, uh, uh, when you were here in 2020, remember we had the first COVID year, there were masks in the lobby, I remember that. She said, uh, you were preaching in the parking lot in the, in a, out of a box truck, not a pickup, a box truck. You know, the gate down, they had, a, they had an organ or piano inside the truck. And I was preaching. And there's a lot of lost people wandering all around. There's a very busy gas station with the best pizza in New York State out of that one gas station. And people all over the place. Now, you know, you get inside of a church and preach okay sometime, you know, but preaching on the street is probably the greatest illustration of boldness that I know, unless you're crazy. I hate to say this, but probably 70% of the street preachers that I've ever seen are nuts. I mean, they're nuttier than fruitcakes. I mean, you know, with the shorts and the bullhorns screaming, your son's in hell. You know, them crazy people. Westboro Baptist Church wannabe type crowd. But I, 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 there's a church in Branson, Missouri, where I go five times a year. One of my former students, an old ex-Marine. And we're always preaching on the streets Memorial Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day. And uh, we, we do it with some class. And we really do. And uh, I would not hurt thee, nor harm thee, but thou art standing where I'm about to shoot. Remember that line with the pilgrim putting that gun up on the Indian's nose, stealing his corn. And uh, anyway, so I'm preaching out of the back of this truck. This little, this little girl and her mother standing there. She said, you know, my mother and I were standing across the street in the gas station. We come out and heard you screaming over there. So we just stopped and kept listening. And she said, I got under conviction. When I got home, my mother led me to the Lord. I think her mom was a nominal Christian. And she said, we both joined the church here. <laughs> but you can't get out there on a street like that without some boldness. Pastors would be grateful if, if some of you might just give a track to somebody. Don't tell me about your motorcycles, fellas. Unless you're a good gospel witness with any men you have a chance to talk to. You can't cram stuff down people's throats. I was preaching in Branson, Missouri. I switched over. The pastor was preaching Memorial Day. Some lady walks up, hands me a track. Is this your track you've been passing out? I said, I said yes. Or oh, your literature? I said, yes. She said, the Bible says you shouldn't cram your religious views down other people's throats. He's wrong, pointing to the preacher while he's preaching. So what did you do, Brother Grady? Well, what do you think I did? I'm sorry. We won't do it anymore. Pastor, stop. 
said, what'd you do? Well, I, I wasn't really disrespectful. My mother taught me better than that. But I did say to the lady, well, ma'am, I, I, I believe if I were you, I wouldn't do that. I, I talked to that pastor on the phone yesterday driving up here. He said there's a Catholic guy that sits out in front of the store nearby where, the, where we preach in downtown Branson. And he always runs inside. He said uh, he got mad today. He ran up, got right in my face and was yelling, you're Satan, you're Satan. There was so much spit coming out of his mouth. He said I had to hold my Bible up so I wouldn't get you know, COVID or whatever he might have. You can't do that kind of stuff unless you have boldness with men. Now, how do you get boldness with men? That's the key, right? Again, man, anybody in here, when's the last time you were able to give the gospel to some unsafe person? Clearly. I don't mean beating around the bush and worrying to death you're going to turn them off. They're going to hell. What are you, what are you going to do? Turn them into hell number two? Turn, turn to Hebrews 4, and I want to show you the great truth here. This is how I got my father saved, what I'm getting ready to show you here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. See that? Hold fast up. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Now look at verse 16. Here's the key to you having boldness with men. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hey man, the key to you having boldness with, with men is having first developed boldness with God in the prayer closet. There's a big difference between praying and exercise, exercising boldness. How, how bold are you in the prayer closet when you need to be bold? I didn't say how disrespectful are you with God, but how bold are you? Asking God for whatever you're praying about is, is a good thing to do. John Rice wrote a book called Prayer is Asking. You haven't actually even prayed to God until you've asked Him for something. But asking God for something is not necessarily exercising boldness. What do you mean, Brother Grady? Well, you know how I got my dad saved or how, how the Lord led me to do the right step to get him saved? For 20 years, preacher, I had a picture in my Schofield Bible right here. Right up here. Picture of my dad drinking coffee. The house he was drinking in, Joe Biden had been in that house 20 times if he was in that house once. Because my stepmother, my father's second wife, she was a politician and she's a state budget committee person in the state of Delaware. She's a Republican, but Biden, when he was a senator, was always in it with his hand out trying to get something from her. I was never there, thank the Lord, when he was there. But he said, my dad's drinking coffee at the kitchen table with a cup up to his mouth. And I had that picture here, and I had GAL69 written on the top of that photograph. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. And after more knockdown, dragouts, and bombed out trying to chances to witness to my dad, I went to my dad one time, walked in the house, he's, he's sitting there watching Lawrence Welk. I said, Dad, Lawrence Welk, he got born again, just like me. I'm trying everything I could think of. So my dad's smart aleck dad, he goes like this. 
Yeah, yeah, Billy. Ask him about 55 East End Avenue, apartment 22E. And then he wouldn't say anything like, what, 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 what was that all about, Dad? He says, Lawrence, I mean, uh, uh, who did I say? Did I say Lawrence Welk? No, I don't mean Lawrence Welk. Kids say the dumbest things. What's that guy's name? Art Linklet, pardon me. Art Linklet, the show was on. Lawrence Welk, good night. I think I'd rather go to the other place than watch Lawrence Welk. So he says, oh yeah, Art, ask Art about apartment so-and-so, right? Well, the story was that my dad was a doorman at that particular building, and one weekend, Art Linkletter's wife was out of town, you know? He's up there with a bimbo, amen. And here comes Art Linkletter's wife down the side. Early. My dad got on the phone in the lobby. Oh, Mr. Linkletter, oh, big Christmas tip coming, you know? Could you see it? Out the back door she went. They ask Art about something. You know how it is. But after years of stumbling and bumbling, and I had Bobby Richardson of the New York Yankees lined up to go see my father. On the phone call, he said, I'll go see him. I'm going to speak to the New York Jets and Polo Grounds or Shea Stadium, and you give me your dad's address, and I'll go visit him. Somebody put me in touch with Bobby Richardson, all-star second baseman for the New York Yankees, born-again Baptist down in South Carolina. Spent the rest of his career running Falwell's uh, athletic department. I called my dad, and he wouldn't tell me where he was living at the time. He was in Manhattan as a doorman. He smelled a rat. I said, Dad, by the way, where are you living these days? Because I was always after. My own father, Father's Day, would not tell me where he lived. I had to call Bobby Richardson back and say, sorry, sir, I can't, I can't even tell you where my father lives. Duh. I had Al Capone's chauffeur, George Myers. Go look it up. His life story is called uh, the Devil's, Al Capone's Devil Driver. He got saved from Chaplain Ray's ministry on the radio, an old Pentecostal background. He's 90 stinking years old. I had him call my dad. My dad said, yeah, he's a pretty cool guy, man. He, uh, we seem to know a lot of people. I tried everything. I couldn't get him saved. But I had Galatians 6.9 written on that picture, and I showed that to, my, to the Lord so many nights. Hey, Lord, you said I'd reap if I didn't faint. Come on, we're running out of time, Lord. See, that's what I'm talking about. Can you do stuff like that in a prayer closet? Sometimes you got to get like that. Hello, Bible's filled with illustrations. Did you ever read them? You ever read about Jesus? I mean, J uh, Jacob putting Jesus in a headlock? Throwing him against a tree, rolling down a hill with him. You ever read that? Say, preacher, what are you, crazy? I don't know. Maybe you're reading a different Bible. Want the reference? Don't turn to it. Genesis 32, tw verses 24 through 31. Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord through the, through the breaking of the day. He, and Jacob had him in a, in a headlock or something. <laughs> I, was on, I was watching some crazy thing on... Picadano's TV here yesterday had a giant, what's that, musk dog, or what do you call those? There's a big dog with a weird name. Miff. Master, big old, he had a puppy, about 100 pounds, about four months old. You know, I'm fighting him for my life in the front, and he's just being a puppy. And he has two uh, huskies. One of them came up behind the chair I'm sitting on, got up on his back legs and put both paws around my throat, he was choking. <laughs> I fight two dogs and what the... Jacob's doing that with Jesus. 
I'll not let thee go until you bless me. Jacob said to Jesus, he said, okay, okay, because he's a Jew. He pulled a fast one, knocked his leg out. <laughs> but he got the power with God because of that. That's boldness, eh? You know what Jeremiah said to God one time? He got so mad. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar? And as waters that fail, he didn't say, you're a liar, God. He said, are you going to be a liar? Can you get like that with the Lord when you have to? David poured out his complaint before the Lord. Can you do that? Can you be like Pappy Reveal, the rescue mission guy in Indiana during the 1950s and 40s and got behind in all these... Uh, Bills and you know, with, the, with the rescue mission, he finally got tired of dealing with it. So he came to the kitchen table and he threw the whole bunch of bills like that on the table and said, I pay mine, Lord, and walked out of the room. That's blasphemy. Yeah, well, they, they, all the bills got paid in about a week. God likes that stuff when you stay respectful about it. It shows you have faith in him. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. See, if you can't, but see, the reason we can't do that with God most of the time is because we're not close to God. Our, our lives aren't clean. How you doing? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And you know that instinctively. That's why you, that's why you hardly don't pray to God at all, much less be bold can't do that unless you're like Abraham. You know what God called that man? He called him the friend of God. Huh? That's personal. I'm 70 stinking years old. I'm preaching in nine churches in New York the next week and a half. Preaching in, I don't know, 17 churches over six weeks. I just left home a week ago yesterday. I won't be home until July sometime. I'm 70 stinking years old. So why are you doing that? Because God pulled me out of Ned's and Three Swans and Shamrock. I haven't gotten over it in, four, I'll be saved 50 years next year. I don't think I'm anything to write home about, but I'm in love with God. He, I, he's my friend. Hello, did you ever read about the man that God said was after God's own heart, a guy named David? You know what he said? Go look it up in Chronicles. He said, God liked me above my I don't know anybody else in the Bible where it said God liked them. Do you know God loves you if you're saved, but he doesn't necessarily like you? Do you know that? He's not a communist. He doesn't like everybody the same way. That's earned, man, like respect. You want to see a wild verse? Turn to, uh, I'll show you a wild verse. Turn quickly to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. How about those ten guys? <laughs> How about those ten lepers, you know? How about that woman that uh, grabbed Jesus' garment? How about that Syrophoenician woman begging God, Jesus to heal her, uh, her daughter and the Lord called her da daughter a dog? I can't give the children's bread to dog. Yeah, but the dogs can uh, eat the crumbs which fall off the table, Master. Lord said, good night, you got me. Hey, do you realize even the devils understand this? Hey, wilt thou come to torment us before the time? You know you're not supposed to get us this early. We get it later. I sat down with David Berkowitz in New York State, Wallkill, New York Prison, son of Sam. 
Four times I visited him. First time he pulled that verse out, he said, that's me, man. Clothed in my right mind, finally got saved. Look at Isaiah 45. How about those guys busting the roof up, lowering that body down? Isn't that funny? <laughs> Sorry, Jesus. <laughs> we couldn't get in because of CNN. Think I'm kidding? They couldn't get in because of the press. Didn't you ever read that? Look at Isaiah 45. You want to see a wild verse? Thus saith the, verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and <clears throat> concerning the work of my hands. What's the next three words say? Command ye me. Holy mackerel. Is that something you can do? <laughs> Isn't that what Joshua did? He got into God's domain. The heavens are God's. The earth's man. Heavens belong to God. What did Joshua say? Moon stand still yet. Sometimes you have to have boldness in this business. And the greatest example of boldness, you know what's the greatest example of boldness? Jesus himself. Did you ever ask God why he's allowed certain things to happen? Pastor's got a daughter pretty sick now. You know, my son just passed away. I think I'll talk about that tonight a little bit. I used to think asking God why was a sin. But I'll tell you, one day the Holy Spirit, I mean, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I did, I did that one time. Can't be a sin. Ain't that something? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? <laughs> That's pretty bold, isn't it? Listen, I'll close with this. In the morning service, I'm going to give you the greatest illustration of spiritual boldness in the whole Bible, okay, for the morning message. But this can save your life. This could save somebody else's life, maybe, sometimes. Sometimes God's going to call somebody home whether you pray or not, right? But I may have told this to you last time. In 2020, my wife got COVID. She visited her dying mother in a COVID wing, 90 years old, and caught it. And she's, uh, I'm in Texas preaching, and I got the call. And we all became medical experts almost through those years. Remember that? We learned so much. Her oxygen had dropped down to 85. She had double pneumonia. She had blood clots all over her lungs. 70 years old with high blood pressure already. Double pneumonia. She's a nurse. She's in an emergency room when I'm talking to her. I mean, it's not looking good all of a sudden. I'm fixing a U-turn, drive back to Tennessee. Two o'clock in the afternoon, I passed, looked at a sign, Natchitoches, Texas, welcomes you, you know. I'm crying my eyes out behind the wheel. And then all of a sudden, God had mercy on me because he knows I have the, the capacity to be bold with him when I need to be, just like you should be able to. I'm telling you, you should be able to. Somebody's life could be at stake. My wife's going down for the count. And then the Lord put two verses on my heart out of nowhere. You ready for this, neighbor? He put, honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long on the earth. And why wilt thou die before thy time? Ecclesiastes 7. I mean, right in the afternoon, both of those verses come floating into my brain. Look, and then all of a sudden, the Lord put them together. Let me put them together. And I had an epiphany in the car. I went off the deep end with God. Anybody remember Clarence, <clears throat> the second class angel, home alone, remember that nut? I, I said to the Lord, I said, oh, wait a minute, Lord, Something's, something just dawned on me here. We got problems in River City. Are, are you trying to tell me that my wife might be dying early? Why wilt thou die? Because she had the 
compassion for her dying mother to visit her on the deathbed and caught COVID from that visit? And honor your father and your mother that you're... Something ain't right here. She's going to die early when she should be living longer. I said, what do you got, Clarence, on this deal here? And me and him got into it the right way. That's wrestling with the Lord. Can you do that? Lord, you said my dad would get saved if I didn't stop and throw it on him. He likes that. He told you to come boldly. Remember, though, I'd like to do that, but I can't. Well, quit being a sinner. Or an apathetic sinner. Fight the stuff. You know, my wife was out of the hospital in 36 hours. Two weeks later, we went to Michigan together on an airplane. We're all done. Brother Caleb, come dismiss. Let me ask you a question. How many believe the Bible could be true? <laughs> all right. Well, why don't you start acting like it? 